We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Welcome in, everybody, to the CFB Nation All-America Podcast. My name is Bill Trochi, Senior Editor at SportingNews.com, alongside lead college football writer Bill Pender from SportingNews.com. And, Bill, it was an eventful Week 11. We're going to look back here on our Tuesday show, and then uh, we will reconvene after the Tuesday night ranking show comes out on Wednesday. We'll have a podcast on Wednesday, and then on Thursday, we will preview Week 11. So, uh, Bill, you're coming off a rare bye week. Uh, you, 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 you are off Saturday, a well-deserved bye week. You got healthy, I hope. Uh, cleaned up some things that were that were that were you know bothering you, and now you're going to be ready to go for week eleven. Well, yeah, I went up to uh, my son's lacrosse tournament, but I was tuned into the games all day. You know, we we didn't play Saturday, so we were listening to Ohio State on the way up. Got in front of a TV for Georgia and Tennessee, and got to give one of the dads credit. He he. We were in the hotel lobby, and he put one TV on and another TV on. And bear in mind, we're in Ohio, so he said Clemson's going to lose and Alabama's going to lose, and we all kind of laughed. And you know what? He turned out to be right. So he maybe uh, turn out to be Tom right. should be uh, Tom Hunter probably should be doing my picks instead of me. Uh, he's a really good dude. His son's great, and uh, then the boys went out Sunday and had a great time in lacrosse. But all the time, definitely keeping an eye on uh, what was going on here. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. 
Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Now, do we need to get Tom in the confidence contest? Or was he, <laughs> would, he, would he just shoot to the top? Is that, that would be a problem for us, wouldn't it? No, he's pretty good. And, uh, you know, we had fun. Um, watching the games. I mean, obviously the one I probably watched the most was was Tennessee Georgia. I made sure I was in front of that and able to watch most of that. And um, and, and at the Alabama LSU game, as I always tell you, I mean, it gets more attention when Alabama loses. It just that gives everybody no hope once they're out of the picture. No question. But let's start with the biggest game of the weekend, the one everybody's talking about. SMU 77, Houston 63. No, I'm just kidding. Not everybody's right. talking about that game, but that was quite a game. Uh, if you like offense, that when uh, I was thinking the whole time when games like that break out, your term flag football. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, um, so, yeah, let's start looking at the, the uh, three top six teams lost on Saturday all at the same time. Uh, one of them wasn't an upset, of course. Uh, and that will start with that one. That was uh, Tennessee. You know, they were a worthy resume, you know, resume wise, they were a worthy number one in the initial rankings, I thought. Um, but I also understood why Georgia was an eight and a half point favorite. Georgia showed they should have been more than an eight and a half point favorite on the field on Saturday. What, uh, you know, where do you think? What went wrong for Tennessee? First of all, we'll start there, and then uh, and then we can talk about the implications of them dropping in the polls. Well, you know, sometimes I I remember doing this with the Michigan Georgia game last year, where I was like, remember breaking it down and then saying, "Well, I need to watch about ten plays both ways just to see what the speed looks like on both sides, or what the physicality, the offensive lines." Um, about 10 plays in, I said, yeah, this ain't going to happen for Tennessee. <laughs> um, you know, the the way that Georgia's defense was able to get to Hooker, six sacks, hurries, I think eight tackles for loss. Jalen Carter reminded everybody that, oh, yeah, we have a dominant interior lineman too. Um, two of 14 on third down for Tennessee, that's, that's not going to win any game, let alone one against that top defense. And Georgia, once they got ahead, they were content to do what they normally do and methodically win and I don't think the score, you know, you talked about that 77-63 score. A 27-13 to 13 game doesn't do what Georgia did to these guys justice, and I think they like it that way. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's the old, like, uh, a page out of the Nick Saban uh, playbook. You just When the game's over, you're just going to grind out the clock. And the, the weather, they knew they had them. They knew they could stop them on defense. They knew they could run out the clock. And I thought, you know, in such a thorough domination, there isn't one turning point, but Tennessee got that fumble right away and Georgia held them to a field goal right off the bat. And that kind of sent a message. And then Georgia, you know, put a couple touchdowns on the board and Tennessee never really felt like they were in the game. Right. Right. And, you know, you know, again, a, a methodical performance it Georgia, once they got ahead and I, I, even that play where, so the play at the goal line where Hendon hooker, I mean, that looked like a fumble of safety. It wasn't what they called it. It certainly no, wasn't, it wasn't what they called it. Right. It was, it was, there was like a multiple choice of things they could have called that wasn't <laughs> that. And um, again, a reminder that if Georgia can do that to Tennessee, and, and as you know, I'm based up here in central Ohio, I always kind of 
I've maintained most of the year that I thought Georgia and Ohio State are the two best teams. And if they did that to Tennessee, I mean, in theory, they could do something similar to Ohio State, who has a little bit more talent on the perimeter, but um, some issues up front that, that Georgia could probably expose. I mean, it was something because Tennessee's defense did look like it was getting better, right? They they held Kentucky to six points. That was their vulnerability leading into this game. And the defense was looking good and they had all kinds of momentum. And like I said, they got the early turnover. Maybe we'll see what happens here. And then it just was downhill from there. They never, never had a chance. So, you know, Tennessee last Tuesday comes out number one, right? And now after all the results come in from this weekend, which was funny because, again, you, you know, you you said last week, this is the week people are going to be tight. Right. And now mm-hmm. we've, we've seen some upsets. We've seen Ohio State underperform. Right. We saw Alabama kind of underperform a little bit um, mm-hmm. and, and people got tight and you were right. And then so now that the, the, the dust has settled, at least from that weekend, we've got four undefeateds left georgia ohio state michigan tcu and now they have one two three four five six seven one loss teams so there's a 11 teams basically that the the committee has to sort through plus two loss lsu which is kind of lurking in the background now last week in defending tennessee being number one i heard the committee say that tennessee had five ranked wins and that was based on ranked at the time and do you believe in that theory because that you know there are so many examples out there where you shouldn't really get credit for a ranked at the time win if the team tends to be terrible like texas a&m i mean there's a lot of examples that that's not really a great way to do it you should probably do it with the current 25 but where do you stand on that Uh, it's case by case and and i think so let's use Notre Dame as the case. At the time when they played Ohio State, a top five team, mm-hmm. and then they dip in the rankings a little bit. But one of the things the Irish have done is when they play a ranked team, they've played up. So at the time they played Clemson, they're a little bit better than they were, you know. And then maybe at the end of the year, it'll be interesting to see where Notre Dame is ranked if they are eight and three and they play USC. So what did we say at, at, at the time? Is Notre Dame about the same t- team as they were against Ohio State? Maybe from a ranking standpoint, no. But from an improvement standpoint and the ups and downs they had, yes. I mean, you're totally on with A&M and some other schools. Uh, Kentucky, it's hard to say. I mean, these SEC schools are ranked for a reason. Then they beat each other up and they get knocked out of the rankings. So I, I believe in it to a point. Um, I think it's a nice column to put when you're evaluating teams. I've always trusted – the overall record of the teams on their schedule a little more because I'm like, okay, they beat. So, so North Carolina, for example, they lost to Notre Dame when Notre Dame was unranked, I believe. Correct. But that's their only loss. And to me, it's not that different of a loss than Ohio state to Notre Dame when Notre Dame's ranked five, because they, you know, it was two weeks later, they had recalibrated. You're a different team every week, but I mean, to, to that metric, I mean, that's going to be Tennessee's case to get in the back door of the playoff now if they're closed out in Atlanta. I mean, they still have LSU and Alabama. I mean, so they still have a very, very solid resume. I just – I didn't feel like you need to credit them for Pitt and Kentucky and Florida. Like, just, you know, two and five sounds very different, but, like, um, you know, I think they hang their hat on Alabama and LSU. They've gotten through the SEC. The resume is the resume. That's the interesting thing. They can't really improve it 
between now and Selection Sunday, uh, even if they have three blowouts, that I don't know how much um, credit they're going to get from the committee for that. So that's uh, we'll, we'll get to at the end of the show. I'll have you give you my top, give you, mm-hmm. give me your top four. Mm-hmm. But for now, uh, let's jump into Clemson. Clemson was number four last Tuesday, so in inside the bracket. And, uh, you know, narrow win over Wake Forest, narrow win over Florida State, narrow win over Syracuse, and then a big loss at Notre Dame. Their stock <laughs> has dropped. Saturday kind of validated all the concerns about Clemson this year. You know, the, the bedrock of the team, even if the passing game has been shaky, it's, it's been their ability to stop the run and their, their great defensive line. Notre Dame just pounded them, 47 runs on the ground, 263 yards, and not a lot of long, big runs. It was just six yards after four yards after eight yards, and Clemson could not stop it. Um, so wh- what's your read on Clemson right now? And, you know, should we feel like they're not going to make the playoff? I don't think they're going to make the playoff, and I, I think you're starting to see the think pieces come out of where is Clemson's program in the NIL era, what, what is wrong with this team, you know, is it the quarterback, is it this? You know, one, one stat, I, I think when I watch Clemson, what I see is they don't have the downfield presence in the receiving game. Um, mm-hmm. I went through the stats from the last four years. So you go back to 2019, and on the outside they had T. Higgins here and Justin Ross here. That's not too bad. Those guys <laughs> – combined for 20,000, 2,032 yards, 21 touchdowns. And then each year it's gone down. And the tandem has been less prolific every year. I mean, Amari Rogers, Cornell Powell, a little bit less. This year, you know, their top two receivers have combined for 736 yards and four touchdowns. It's not, I mean, we're three-fourths of the season through. And when your top two receivers only have four touchdowns, that tells you that, I mean, I know it's not Trevor Lawrence and Deshaun Watson, but these are Clemson kids, right? They should be the most talented kids in the conference. You, you don't have that downfield passing attack. And, you know, I think Notre Dame knew that. So we can defend that. And then when we get the ball, we're just going to pound them up the middle. And, you know, impressive show for the Irish and Marcus Freeman. And, and again, for all the things they haven't been, they're pretty good when they play a ranked team under Marcus. Yeah, it's it's they are it's the biggest mystery in the country. I mean, you watched that game against Marshall – and the offensive line could not get out of its own way. They could not block Ohio State to save their life. They could not block Stanford. And suddenly they're ripping holes in the Clemson defensive line like they're not even there. And it's basically been the same five guys. I mean, Jared Patterson was hurt early and he's back uh, at guard. But, I mean, it's it was, it was great to watch. They have unlocked some secret block punt formula that – no one seems no one else in the country seems to know how to do it. They've got six block punts this year, which is just astounding. Pete Sampson did a uh, story in the athletic last week about the two blocks against Syracuse. And then boom, they backed up that story with another huge block momentum block against Clemson. And uh, you know, yeah, mm-hmm. it was a terrific night uh, for, for Notre Dame. So Clemson, they're going to drop. They've got one last chance to boost their resume if North Carolina makes it to the ACC championship game as a one-loss team, as a top-10 team, potentially. South Carolina could be hanging around the top 25, the lower part of the top 25. That's another game they could get 
uh, some some credit for on their resume. Although, of course, if they win, they'll knock South Carolina out of the top twenty-five. But um, does, so you're saying Clemson doesn't have any hope that 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 they don't have any hope because they're not good enough to win these games in impressive fashion, or they they simply don't have the, you know that the lasting impression of that Notre Dame loss is just going to knock them down in the committee's eyes. Well, and I think the Pac-12 is ahead of them in the pecking order. So Clemson, you know, the North Carolina game could impress a little bit. They're like you said, with that schedule, they have left out of, out of sight, out of mind a little bit. I mean, if Dabo starts pol- politicking, it'll probably go on deaf ears um, because of the Pac-12. I think the Pac-12 has three teams in the top 10. They'll have three teams in the top 10 tonight. You need TCU to lose. You need, I don't know that, I guess the the good question, Bill, would be: Would a one loss Clemson team be a, have a better case than like a one loss Tennessee or Michigan? And that's I don't I don't know. I, I don't that's think a, so. I don't think so either. And then you know the the ACC champion, the winner's probably going to the Orange Bowl. And right now, North Carolina has a better case than Clemson. Their loss to Notre Dame was by fewer points. They've got the top quarterback in the nation when it comes to total offense and. If they go 12 and 1, I think they present a little bit different case to the committee than Clemson does. It's fresher, it's new. I, I don't know that that matters that much, but I think they have a better argument right now based on their loss. Well, they'll decide that one on the field, of course. Right. Um, did, did you see the stat I sent you about uh, Drake May, North Carolina's quarterback from David Hale, the ESPN? It's he's I don't have it in front of me. I think for the last three games, he said something like four four or five touchdowns, 300 yards, 70 percent completion and 50 yards rushing, which has never been done uh, uh, by a quarterback in NCAA history. So Drake may underrated Heisman candidate, I think, especially this week when we saw Hendon Hooker play his worst game of the year. Bryce Young struggle i wouldn't say it was his worst game of the year cj stroud it was his worst game of the year there's no question about that drake may continues to roll i think he should uh think about booking a weekend in new york uh in december he has been absolutely terrific and you were on him early bill you we were, were on we, him early we were on him early like <laughs> in the call it, elliot Pono wanted that piece our editor and you uh you guys were on that. So I think we were collectively on that. Um, Blake Corum's another interesting pop-off candidate for me that all he has to do is have a huge game against Ohio State and they win, and he'll be in New York too. So that was interesting that you said that. Uh, Hooker, Stroud, Stroud was playing in some biblical wins, but still playing in them. Um, and Hooker having a rough night. That, that Heisman race opened up a little bit, so we'll have Definitely. more on that, I'm sure, at Sporting News this week. Um, yeah, so – why don't you introduce our third team? Unless yeah, let's have- move on to Alabama. Everybody's favorite team when they lose. The, the traffic goes through the roof and uh, the, the sky is falling in Tuscaloosa. Um, of course, unlike Clemson and Tennessee, the tide went right down to the wire, something that's nothing new when they lose. They, they lost in the last play of the game Saturday night. Uh, they lost in the last play of the game against Tennessee. And last year they lost in the last play of the game at Texas A&M. So you uh, – the tide may be piling up a few uh, losses, but uh, they're certainly not of the blowout variety. Georgia, Georgia got them in the national championship game pretty good. Um, so is it time to panic 
if you're Alabama, you know, uh, as far as a program, I, I don't think so. I mean, like I said, they've had four games that have come down to the final play this year. They won two, they lost two, they beat Texas and Texas A&M, of course. And then they, they lost to, uh, to, uh, LSU and Tennessee, but, you know, there's gotta be some questions as to why they're having so many close games, why they've struggled on the road. And, you know, I think this is an obvious question, but uh, what's their chances for the playoff? I, I don't I don't see a way in. And, and we've done this before when they get two losses in November. They try to come up with a creative path to get Alabama in. Now, we don't do it by <laughs> five-star rosters. This isn't Madden, you know? Like, you have to do it on the field, and they have two losses. They're not going to go to Atlanta at this rate. They need help in form of, I mean, starting with Arkansas this weekend. Any the what are you know are they going to be counting on Texas A and M in the final weekend of the season to knock <laughs> off LSU possibly right. but I wouldn't count on it and you know even if they have two losses and get to Atlanta um, do we really believe they're going to beat Georgia uh, so I, I think no so this is where it gets interesting now because now is the dynasty crumbling is this the end of Nick Saban I read Paul Feinbaum's comments this week about Paul described Nick as a disgruntled employee. Not in the way that I'm disgruntled. No, I'm just joking. I love my job and editor. My editor is the best editor in the world. Um, no, like not disgruntled employee at Alabama, but a disgruntled employee in the NCAA doesn't like NIL, doesn't like the state of college football right now. And I think there's some merit to that. That Maybe he's frustrated with that. But that doesn't even account for what I think is their single biggest problem, Bill. It's um, penalties. 124th in the nation in penalty yards with 671 penalty yards. I don't care how much talent you have. And Coach Saban knows this. When you have that many penalties, nine for 92 Saturday night, you're going to lose games on the road. Yeah, and they they are having trouble covering people in the secondary. There, a lot of those penalties that you mentioned are pass interference penalties that mm-hmm. are critical on third down or whatever. It keeps drives alive. Uh, but I want to give LSU credit too. Jaden Daniels was amazing, scrambling down. And, you know, people forget that uh, loss to Florida State way back when LSU was struggling and Daniels did not have a great game. That game, he was not accurate. But he drove them like 90 yards down the field to, to set up the, you know, give them a chance to tie the game before they missed the extra point. And he was terrific. He's clutch. He's tough to tackle. I don't remember him being this effective of a runner at Arizona State that he is at LSU. And he's tough to deal with when the game is on the line. He was very good at that his freshman year. And then it just went like his Arizona State tenure just kept going down. Um, But bright kid playing great. Um, That's the debate we should be having. Is the two LSU team going to get in? Mm. Or are they just in the way of, I would say yes, which would be interesting if Brian Kelly could get in the playoff that way. Um, (laughs) But I mean, I don't know that they leave an SEC champion out and that's where it could get super complicated if the Tigers get going and and run through Georgia somehow and, and do all the things that they they are doing. Um, Because LSU, by the way, has a playoff pedigree. They've been to a national champ. They've won a national championship. They were in the BCS, all those things. And it's just interesting to me how we do this week to week bill, because now of all people, like Brian Kelly's the toast of college football for running a play that was one risky, two short of the end zone, and three amazing 
it was all of those things <laughs> at the same time. It was just they, they hit that pass and he got in the end zone and you got to give him credit for all the he, he took in the offseason. Um, he's a man right now. I've always thought going for two when you go second in the first overtime like they did, going for two makes sense yep. because, you know, all things being equal, you got to take into a lot of factors. But when you go into the second overtime, you lose the advantage. of You, you have to go first, right? Right. And so you're at a disadvantage in that second overtime. So if you think it's a 50-50, if you're going to make the two or not make the two, you might as well go for it because you have to go on offense first. You only get the three plays. The other team gets the four plays or whatever, you know, that type of situation, why everyone picks to go on defense first. So you lose that advantage. So I, I you know, I thought it made sense. And, and Kelly said after the game, give me one play to beat Alabama. Sure, I'll take that. I'll, I'll go for it. Um, but like I said, I, I've always agreed with that, that going for two – to end it before you go into the second overtime, having to be on offense first, to me, makes sense. I think if it was the other way around, I think Alabama, I would have kicked it. But at home, I'm going for it. That's my only difference of opinion. So, like, LSU goes and they score and Alabama goes, I'm making I'm, – I'm just kicking the extra point. I'll play another one and, and count on – and they're, again, the more talented roster. So, you're like, I'll, I'll play and make them press and figure it out eventually. But it, it totally agreed. As soon as LSU got the ball – I said the same thing you just said to my fellow lacrosse dads. I said, if LSU scores here, you got to go for two in this thing now and and go win it now. And, and no, again, scored great, immediately. <laughs> great play. Yeah. Like it didn't take long. So again, I mean, for Alabama, it means one of the things I was kind of not stressing out about, but trying to figure out is what does this mean for their bull projections? Um, if LSU loses in the SEC championship game, Alabama will still go to a New Year's Day Six Bowl. They'll probably go to the Orange Bowl or the Cotton Bowl. And, you know, they have a history of treating that like a consolation game. And it'd be interesting to see who opts out. But um, it's going to create an interesting thing for them next year. Because, you know, once you get to the – it's so wild that we're saying this, but once you get to the third year when they haven't won a national title – (laughs) <laughs> it's been three years wow. um yeah. yeah they get a little antsy in tuscaloosa believe here's it or not a, here's an interesting debate that just kind of occurred to me 12 and 2 lsu with win over bama and a win over georgia in the sec championship game mm-hmm. versus 11 and 1 tennessee who beat them head to head who whipped them head to head on the road buried them and Tennessee has one loss to Georgia LSU could trump that obviously with the win but they've got that second loss they lost the head-to-head and they have more losses than Tennessee Tennessee LSU could be a difficult debate for the committee I think they'd take LSU and it's I I really do recency bias too they'd be coming off of Georgia win the day before it's like how can we leave the SEC champion out but that'll be the fallback if you try to strip away the emotion and the recency and just look at the Tennessee resume and the LSU resume, very close. It's what do you weigh more? I mean, head to head, sometimes they value head to head a lot. They on do. That committee, right? And they, but they like to fall back on the conference championship to make it the appearance that those conference championship games, which, as you know, through talking to me, I think have become increasingly 
diminished in value. But in this case, the one that never has diminished value is the SEC championship game because it always has two teams that it just feels like if they win, they're in. It's it's like that most years. I think. Most, I mean, before Kirby got to Georgia, the East was not producing right. like stellar teams. Um, right. Yeah. But Florida, even like with Dan Mullen and, you know, those years. So I, I think – I think they would fall back on that. They would say LSU is the hottest team in the country. You know, they just beat Alabama. They just beat Georgia. They they won on the – you know, they'd use these Arkansas games. I, I Tennessee fans wouldn't like that at all, but I think that's what would happen. All right, give me your top four for Tuesday night. Okay. What's going to happen? When, when we're watching TV, we got the ESPN on, and they're going to go boom, four, three, two, one. Give me, give me your four, three, two, one. Four, TCU. Ooh, okay. I, mean, I think they climb up. They give. I mean, they go from up. seven to four, where they come from behind win over Texas Tech. They're going to jump up from seven to four. No, they didn't lose. They they didn't play tight when it mattered, and they want to. They'll. This week's huge for them. You know, if they beat Texas, they're looking really good. Yes. Um, yes. Three, I think Michigan. Although there's a case, part of me thinks they might get cute and flip them with Ohio State and put Ohio State three based on last week. Mm-hmm. Um, Played much better than Ohio State did. They did. on the ro- Both teams on the road against inferior opponents, they may use that excuse. Um, but I, I still think it'll be Michigan. Ohio State, too. They, they still continue to do everything they need to do. Those two are headed toward – it's nonstop here in Columbus. It's, it's starting. It's going to be great. Really, it started two weeks ago, but it's really starting to amp up. Uh, it's going to be awesome. And then number one, Georgia, again, a reminder on Saturday that um, they're just really good when it matters. They, they they stepped up. You and I had talked about that last week. Was this their reminder to the college football world that, you know, they, they're loaded. They've got a five-star roster. They're disciplined. They've got a good quarterback. They've got all the pieces to do it again. And I thought about that a lot. I mean, it wasn't until the game started that you, you reminded me how infrequent they get that game at home. And then I, I you saw the crowd and I was like, yep, that matters. And uh, Unreal. Yeah, so all of those things add up to Georgia being number one. And then first two out will be Tennessee and Oregon, five and six. And with Oregon, you know, they both one loss, both to Georgia. Uh, Oregon's was more one-sided, although not as one-sided as the scores. Mm-hmm. may indicate um very good all right well, let's wrap it up we will rejoin everybody once the show uh we see we watch the show we digest it we write some stories at sportingnews.com i'll have a what a 12 team bracket would look like so we can uh, whet our appetite with when that actually takes place bill you will have a reaction piece that everyone can read when we find out if you are correct that tcu jumped up to four Tennessee and Oregon are knocking on the door. We'll see what happens there. And then, of course, Thursday's podcast, we'll look ahead to week 11, TCU, Texas, some other fun games. Uh, But we thank everyone for listening, and we will be back at you soon enough on the CFB Nation All-America Podcast. (laughs) 